0: Welcome to Cool Breeze Over the Mountains, a podcast where we chronologically step through and discuss each film starring Keanu Reeves. My name is Andrew Gormley, and I am one of your hosts. I am joined on this episode and every episode by my co-hosts. This chick's living in a new car ad, Whitney Nelson. Oh, <laughs> <Hell> yeah. <laughs> and he's been tasting Rhodes his whole life, Evan Wells. Mm, so true. <laughs> we... We are on the other side of a little break that we took, and I think Mm -hmm. all of us at this point have seen Best Picture 2019, as I'm lovingly calling it. Uh, Yes. What a rush. What a rush. Today is actually the release date of another Keanu Reeves movie. So as of recording, we Mm -hmm. are at uh, some, what is the day, May 31st. It's a Friday. On Netflix, Uh, there will be Always Be My Maybe. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I'm excited to check that out. At some point this weekend. Defin-
1: definitely going to watch it this weekend, yep.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a, It's. I, it seems like a good sit. And Ali mm-hmm. Wong, I've said n- numerous times, is a national treasure. And uh, she's wonderful. She could do no mm-hmm. wrong. Mm-hmm. So that's great. So I,
1: I want to put it to you guys. Hang on. While we're talking about the number one movie of 2019 and another Keanu movie came, coming out on Netflix. So this is something that has been discussed both sort of on and off the podcast before. That we really, and this is all thanks to Andrew, I give him full credit for this, because Evan and I show up, but this was his idea to start out with. Uh, Mm -hmm. We are definitely hit smack dab in the middle of this, like, pop culture deluge of keanu reeves and it's been happening for a while like everyone has always known that he's been a good guy and Mm -hmm. and you know the the stuff of him like just being a normal dude on the subway and giving his seat to pregnant women and whatever that's been happening for years and years and years and that's been talked about a lot and obviously he's made a ass ton of movies so it's not like he's ever really stopped making movies and now he's back I've been calling what is happening currently with everyone's overwhelming love for Keanu Reeves the Keanu-sants. <laughs> but I don't really feel like that's a good term for it because I don't feel like, you know, don't call it a comeback. He's been here all the time. That's so true. I was wondering if you guys agreed with Keanu-sants or if there's a better way to put it because it's just like people are falling in love with him for the first time, but he's been here and working hard and being Keanu the whole time.
0: Yeah. I I definitely agree with the the sentiment, and I'm I'm okay with actually the term Keanu Sans. It's got a nice well, ring to it. I,
1: that's the thing; is yeah, it just works. sounds so nice. Yeah, that, that Keanu Sans is what I keep calling it, but I feel like it doesn't give him enough credit because <laughs> I don't really think that it's like he disappeared and now he's back. Like that happened to, um, oh my god, what's his name? Iron Man, Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, because he had all the yeah. drug stuff and whatever, and he made a bunch of stuff in the '90s and then went away for a while and then came back and came back hard and had a very different reputation than anyone thought he would have because mostly because of iron man and the character that he plays as tony stark has very much influenced how people perceive him as a person yeah um and but he did go away because he had a bunch of legal issues and did a bunch of drugs and all <laughs> right. that kind of stuff keanu has been here making two movies a year for 20 years or it's more that's true so yeah. I just I just wanted to put that out there. I'm calling it the keanu If anyone listening has a better term for it than keanu that does not imply that he ever disappeared, let me know. But it's happening. It's a, it's a movement, one way or the other.
0: Yeah. the fa- My favorite thing to see are all of the little individual Twitter stories about people's one-on-one encounters with him. And I, th- every one of them is like the happiest story you've ever heard. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's how you Mm -hmm. would want to like, if you were to meet your hero, Mm -hmm. it's exactly every story is exactly how you would want that to go where he's just the best.
1: The thing that I love about Keanu Reeves. And we still haven't even started talking about the movies yet, but the thing that I love about Keanu Reeves is that he's kind of a space case and kind of doesn't live in this world in a sort of Jeff goldblum kind of way, but he's still so down-to-earth at the same time, and no one else is like that. Like, Jeff Goldblum is a—I've heard nothing but good things about him, but he's not down-to-earth. Jeff Goldblum is living in Jeff Goldblum land all of the time, and yep. we're just lucky enough to get peeks at it. But, like, Keanu Reeves is like a Jeff Goldblum or something, where he's on a different plane— and when you watch him talk, like the the amount of time it takes him to process his emotions into words and just casual interviews and stuff, there, he, he's definitely on a different level. But he stays very grounded and is very much in the same world as the rest of us while he's doing that. And I just think that's amazing. Yeah. Like that gets, puppy video where he's interviewed oh with a bunch God, of puppies.
0: It's the best. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. And it's definitely like he is not a normal person. But he also is totally a normal person at the same time. And I just love it.
0: Yeah, you get the sense that he is reluctant about the fame side of things. Yes. And you could just sit down and kind of chat with the guy. And that is mm-hmm. that is rare. You don't get that. So that does not happen all the time. Especially someone called him an A-list actor. And I agree with that. But he doesn't give off the air of like an A-list no, actor. No, he doesn't.
1: And I don't think, I don't think he commands the salary. I think maybe he might now with the third John Wick, but yeah. I, he I think for most of his life, he has not been he has not gotten the kind of money that like Brad Pitt gets for a movie.
0: Exactly. That's true. That's true. So. Uh,
1: so anyway, go see John Wick 3 because it's a masterclass in filmmaking as an art and also as entertainment.
0: How, how rare is it that the the third movie continues to get, it's like better than the second, which is... I yeah. don't know
1: if this has ever happened in trilogy history. <laughs> right, are like, it's, the first one is is great and yes. stands a little bit on its own because it's so different and the budget was so different and it's so sparse. But I think they've gotten better every time.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. I would absolutely agree with that. Which is rare in any kind of... Trilogy.
1: I can't think of any trilogy that does that, that each one is sequentially better than the last.
2: I mean, mm, does Jurassic Park get close? I guess you can't no. really beat the first one.
1: <laughs> no! It gets, three it's is the nowhere near one!
0: <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry if you're a lover of Jurassic Park 3, but that is, I don't know about that No, one. That's,
1: that is so far, far from true.
0: What about Indiana Jones?
1: No, because the second one's terrible. Yeah, the third that's one true. is the best, but the yes. second one's terrible. There's a big dip in the middle. Yeah,
0: Andrew, idiot.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so
0: come up and <laughs> I understand. I get it. Uh-huh. I get it. Um, what about like, uh, I guess like the Avengers, but are those considered
2: mm. trilogies or are I they kind of just so. they're different timelines? Well, and, and
1: John Wick won't be a trilogy um they've already announced for yeah! yeah that's
2: true but i guess what we're saying is like subsequent movies what, what do we want to call that like literally uh,
1: the i think by monday of opening weekend they had released the 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 press release went out saying john wick 4 is confirmed and i was like they literally already i guarantee you there's a contract somewhere that says john wick 4 if opening box office ex- hits or exceeds this amount of money we are you know, going live with it. But I guarantee you that agreement was made before it oh, even yeah. was, three was released in theaters. They were like, we want everyone to be on board. So we're going to say it yes now, but only if it makes X amount of money. And then of course it made X amount of money.
0: It's crazy. Mm. It's crazy. It's so Good. It made, uh, it made the entire theatrical run of John wick two in just 10 days. Yep. That's insane. We, I don't yeah. know if we've ever seen, we're talking smaller numbers overall. It's not like a billion dollar movie. right? But it's,
1: it's not Avengers money. Yeah. As an but
0: example, that is a crazy curve. If you were to yes. chart how much money these movies have made, it's, it's just, it's a sight to behold for sure.
1: Yeah. Well, what's nice yeah. is that they are continuing to make more money. And so they are still being profitable. Like one was like, you know, get out cost very little money to make And brought in a ton of money. John Wick was sort of that way where they didn't spend much money on it and then they made it all back and then some because, you know, it's not easy to break even when your budget is so much lower. But then they went way up with the budget in two and then they made all that back and they, you know, went even more up with three and they made all that back, too. So that's nice to see because sometimes you see them upping the budget and then it not panning out that way. So, yeah
0: diminishing returns sometimes so that's it's wonderful best picture
1: 2019 you're here i will sign sign that petition (laughs) yes
0: sign my change.org petition to get it yeah yeah, nominated we'll we'll
1: get on the petition boat for entertainment but this time it'll be to have the academy recognize john wick three
0: that's right we can do this we could do this Mm -hmm. yeah Okay, let's...
1: <laughs> let's talk about the movie.
0: The movie right. that we're here to talk about. thats great. We should, you know, it's good to open up with some banter. I I, I enjoyed it. And it's mm-hmm. it's all Keanu related, so we're keeping it in the family. Uh, yeah,
1: we're on theme.
0: Today we're talking about a movie called My Own Private Idaho. I've
3: always know where I am by the way the road looks. Like I just know that I've been here before. I just know that I've been stuck here. Mike? I'm extremely excited. Don't worry. Everything's gonna be all right.
2: You men make yourselves comfortable i'll be right back
3: she's cool because it takes her a little while to get warmed up it's normal nothing kinky (laughs) where is my son scott we don't know sir
4: hey mike
0: how long have i been here on the streets on this crusade Uh, i pulled the synopsis of this i believe it's from imdb i didn't i usually cite that but i didn't this time the synopsis goes like this two best friends living on the streets of portland as hustlers embark on a journey of self-discovery and find the relationship stumbling along the way. uh, this movie was written and directed by Gus van Sant, uh, whose work you are no doubt familiar with. He has done to die for with uh that's Nicole Kidman, Goodwill Hunting, Finding Forrester and Milk, and a, a couple other things along the way. But he doesn't necessarily work often. He goes two, three years between projects, but they're usually mm-hmm. pretty affecting projects as you mm-hmm. <laughs> as you can see.
1: Wasn't Drugstore Cowboy one too?
0: Yes, that was also one. Yeah, before was it? before I think it was
1: one of his earliest ones. Yeah,
0: I think that might have been first or second. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very good. Also very good. Co-starring alongside Keanu in this film is River Phoenix, James Russo, William Reichert, Rodney Harvey, and Chiara Caselli. Weirdly enough. Uh, <laughs> Just like I don't know why this happened in the '90s, we have another Red Hot Chili Pepper cameo here from <laughs> Flea. That's a pretty big role, actually. So who? Wait,
1: who was Flea? I did not recognize him.
0: He was one of the. Uh, he was one of the vagabonds. I don't. I don't. I don't. Know what you, I don't know what you want to call them. Um, he had a couple speaking lines okay. to uh, Bob Pigeon and i believe that was oh, the yeah, character yeah, yeah. played by um william Reichert. so okay. yeah yep. if you mm. just do a quick google search when you're done of flea in my pro- and you'll yeah. know you'll know who he is he's yeah. yeah it's weird so we are once again and i don't have to reiterate this critical and audience reception here uh mm-hmm. whitney do you want to talk a little bit about this and how you think it lines up with uh, your expectations after having watched this film
1: yes so uh it is the critics and the audience agree for the first time ever in any <laughs> movie that we're looking at. It is 81% from both the critics and from the audience. So it is a, an 81% certified fresh film. What is interesting is I looked through, because I was curious with this one, uh, previous movies with both critical and audience reception on Rotten Tomatoes. And do you guys have a guess for which one is the top... Rated. Now we've talked about these as we've gone. do you remember or have a guess for which one was the top rated critically rated movie that we've seen so far
0: that we, that we have seen yeah um, that we've seen so far the first one uh I'm thinking it has to be well it doesn't have to be my guess would be dangerous liaisons yeah uh, okay. dangerous
1: liaisons had a ninety three percent critic score, so wow. the critics thought that this movie was 12% worse (laughs) Um,
0: critics don't know nothing
1: I but in looking at this I sort of arranged the top four dangerous liaisons is number one parenthood is number two and then river's edge so if I did it by combining the audience score and the critic score and then dividing by two to kind of find which one has the best overall score Um, so river's edge and my own private Idaho actually tie okay but River's Edge, if you're just going by critic score, outranks it because it was eighty cent, 86% score instead of My Own Private Idaho getting 81% score. I do not think that, on my own personal taste, that this movie is worse than River's Edge. I think that's interesting, that it would have a slightly higher score than My Own Private Idaho from critics, not from audience. I think that's interesting. Yeah. Um I get why it's less than Parenthood and Dangerous Liaisons, although I don't necessarily agree with either of those, <laughs> but we'll, we can get into that. But yeah, sure. so 81% from both categories, people agree on generally thinking this movie's pretty good.
0: Mm, okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, I pulled some, uh, some quotes here, of critics and users. We get Carrie Rickey, Philadelphia Inquirer once again, if, if, every time this person writes one, I will pull it. <laughs> Uh, Although River Phoenix has distinguished himself as an actor ever since his second film, Stand by Me, nothing he has ever done before prepares you for his performance in Private Idaho as the motherless, homeless, loveless piece of human driftwood.
1: Mm -hmm. Wow!
0: Yeah. (laughs) And uh, user Anthony G gave it four stars and said, uh, "Gus, the master, a master of art house, rather creates." an effectively heartbreaking drama set against a Shakespeare, uh, I guess that Shakespearean template.
1: There's a quote that I pulled from Roger Ebert about that sort of Shakespearean thing. Oh, yeah. I, I read all of Roger Ebert's review, and I didn't do any other research. I just wanted to see what he had to say after seeing the movie. Um, I didn't want to spoil anything for trivia, so I didn't read any farther <laughs> than that. But... He said the characters have been compared by one critic to Prince Hal and Falstaff to the errant heir and his lowlife companion. It's the strangest thing. Here is a movie about lowlife sexual outlaws, and yet they remind us of works by Shakespeare or Dostoevsky, not William Burroughs or Andy Warhol. Maybe that's because Van Sant is essentially making a human comedy here. A story that may be sad and lonely in parts, but is illuminated by the insight that all experience is potentially ridiculous. That if we could see ourselves with enough enough detachment, some of the things we take with deadly seriousness might seem more than faintly absurd. And I think that's a really good sort of summary of the mood of this movie.
0: Yeah. (laughs) That's why Ebert reviews movies. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's a lot. Yeah. That's interesting. I would, I, you know, what I'm going to go back and read that review also because yeah, I, it's
1: interesting. Uh,
0: yeah, I, I'll start with I'll, I'd like to start with either one of you, whoever wants to go first, to give kind of your overall thoughts. I can say that I am of of two minds about this movie, but I, I
1: yes, I have a lot of thoughts and feelings about this movie,
0: Whitney. I mean, whoever wants to go, I I kind of just have to hear one of your takes on it to see mm-hmm. if I am, like, completely off or <laughs> if I, like, nailed it. So, please, either yeah. one, yeah.
1: Um, okay, so for me, I wrote down in my notes about halfway through the movie that this movie is like if Oliver Twist and Shakespeare had a baby and then that baby was raised by David Lynch.
4: <laughs> wow. It is
1: very Twin Peaksy. If you know David Lynch, if you know Twin Peaks, even if you know the reputation of it, Uh you know what you're getting into with this movie when I say that. Mm -hmm. I think it is so heavily influenced by the absurd that it points it didn't work for me. Um, The dialogue being somewhat Shakespearean, but not fully so. And depending on which character it was, it was more or or less like it was modern and then it was Shakespearean and then it wasn't. And then sometimes it was more, I don't know, like it was it was all over the map. Um, I feel like it was very, very earnest in a way that pays off, that makes the sort of absurdity and the the stuff that doesn't necessarily always follow and work and didn't always track for me. And I was kind of like, "Eh, I don't know if this is hitting the mark. The earnestness of emotion paid it off so that in the end I still felt satisfied with having seen it. And I do like movies where there's not a happy ending when they're telling real life stories like this, where there's tragedy and there's whatever. When you just tell, like, end the, the story when the, that thread ends, but the characters' lives go on and it's not necessarily a happy ending. It's not necessarily a bad ending. Um, it just kind of keeps going. I like that a lot. I have a lot of mixed feelings about this is a gay movie. Okay. Um, in that... This comes from a time when like this is right on the cusp of, of queer cinema starting to be sort of more in the mainstream and people, you know, doing token movies for an audience and people feeling good about having gone to see a queer movie is that's like their, you know, <laughs> that's like their cred for yeah. for being an ally and that they kind of stuff. Which a, is
0: They made a quota or something exactly. like that. Exactly.
1: That has been happening in the last 20 years or so where, you know, I've been lucky as someone who identifies as queer that in my lifetime I've had a whole ream of movies from which to choose from where it's not subtext, it's not subtle hints. For all of the rest of cinema history and most of literature and most of history in general, it's been subtext and you have to read from certain lines or clues or dialogue that you know what's going on even if it's not readily apparent on the surface. It's been very recent overall that there have been outright queer storylines where you don't have to guess at what's happening. And it's still a regular point of conversation. Like, one of the... I think one of the Avengers, no, Guardians of the Galaxy. I don't remember what it was. There was a movie that was a big movie, like one of the Avengers or Guardians of the Galaxy superhero movies where they teased in advance a character being queer. And then there was absolutely zero in the movie about her being in any way gay. Ah. And everyone was like, nothing gay happens. Why, do you, why did you tease she was gay? And they were like, well, if she didn't do anything not gay. And everyone's like, no, that doesn't, <laughs> nope, that's not how that works. So, this is one of the earlier movies of of where like queer cinema's mere existence was radical. Like, it was radical just to have a character in this movie say he's in love with a dude. Yeah. And I think that that's a big step. And I know in several people's lives, this movie is pivotal because it shows a realm of, of sexuality that is not binary it's not one or the other it's not gay or straight it's you know because they're all fooling around with a infinite amount of people and you know at some point the sex is is more more of these characters are non-sexual or asexual than they are sexual because it's like what they do for a living it's their stock and trade so it doesn't have the same connotation as romance or connection and that was groundbreaking for a lot of people Falling somewhere in the middle of the spectrum was groundbreaking for a lot of people, but for me in a era of like moonlight where there's so much more nuance and depth and so much more it felt to me like in retrospect, like ha- seeing it from a modern perspective, this movie did not age very well because I feel like it trades on the shock value of homosexuality. I think that there was a lot in this movie that was meant to unsettle people and I don't think it needed to do that. You still have a bunch of tragedy. You still have a bunch of absurdity. You still have a bunch of people being kicked around both by themselves and by society, and you don't need to add the absurdity of homosexuality or sex work to make that point. I feel like it was almost a sideshow sort of a thing, which Sex work doesn't have to be a sideshow. Homosexuality doesn't have to be a sideshow. And sometimes it can be. And sometimes it is for shock value. But also sometimes it's just normal people doing normal stuff. And I feel like this is too early on that it's, that Gus Van Sant traded a lot in shock value to open people's eyes up. But I think in the end, there's so much heart to it. And there's so much good, genuine emotion that I was moved by it. My heart broke for River Phoenix at that, you know, once they get to Italy. And so in the end, it still had a payoff for me. But there were a lot of points throughout this movie where I was like, not in it. Overall, that's my, and I'm done now. (laughs) 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 Thank you for coming to my TED Talk.
0: (laughs) Well said. All right. Okay. I I feel better now. Ev, I would love for you to go. And then I will no doubt... Split the difference, but no, uh, of course, no, please. Ev, yeah. Uh,
2: I mean, uh, Whitney covered a lot, so there's, there's gonna be stuff in there that I'm borrowing. I, th- um, I think s- purely story wise, plot wise, it was great. Um, there was plenty of emotional up and down. Um, Whitney, I like your point about some absurdity sneaking in, um, and unnecessary for the story. Um, and, you know, it's, I think it's a little it's hard for me to kind of put a finger on the reasoning for it. But um, I, I was also really attracted to and we talked about this on on the last episode, just to the technical nature of the movie.
1: Technically, it was very well executed in a lot of ways.
2: Yeah, there's just a lot of technical chops and even some of the some of the cuts to these dream states or, or or whatever they were trying to kind of get across there
4: mm-hmm. uh,
2: where there would be pretty random introductions of other scenes for a short period of time that was just amazing and the, and the framing of, of some of these things and it was just it really felt very realistic um, nothing felt like it was from a from a technical or or filming perspective nothing felt like it's kind of raw mm-hmm. um and and i really appreciated that about the movie in general um and i thought that there was just a lot of great uh, overall great acting i don't remember a moment in the movie where a particular character irked me or where i picked up on something that was irritating um you know it, it just felt natural and um it was just pleasant to watch from that perspective so um, I think I was more in the mind of, you know, I knew the history. I knew what attracted people to this movie. A lot of it is, is Whitney to what you were speaking to, kind of what are they trying to get after from an emotional perspective, but also a lot of it is how good it is technically. Um, and I leaned more towards the latter, and, and that was very uh, rewarding for me. But overall, just a, a great movie to watch. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. 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 Andrew? Andrew?
0: Okay, Uh, yeah, I feel like I agree with a lot of what both of you said. Let me start over. (laughs) 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 This movie had been positioned to me, and not by either of you, but just culturally as something important, with a capital I. Mm
4: -hmm.
0: And I went in kind of with expectations, I guess. And after having seen it and then read some reviews, the word, a descriptor that kept coming up for this movie is art house. And Mm -hmm. I'd be curious to know if both of you first think that this would fall into that type of film, like an art house film. Hmm.
1: I think so. I think it's more of an art house film than a mainstream film. I think that Gus Van Sant did that on purpose. He I don't know. I feel like there's an um, element of well everything single thing that I've seen of him his as a director and as a writer. Yeah. or one or the other. Um has had an incredible amount of earnestness. Sometimes it's earnestness that isn't actually earnest. It's trying to get people to a, a lot of it is about the like down and out in one way or another mm-hmm. and trying to humanize them. In a way that like people who are going to feel sympathy for a bunch of mostly kids on the street doing drugs and robbing people and turning tricks, like you're either going to sympathize with them or not before you see the movie. And so I think some of it goes a little bit heavy handed, but I definitely think that with the sort of dreamy flashbacks that maybe didn't even happen in the like 16 millimeter type stuff interspersed with. Like, the the salmon swimming upstream, but also then there's, like, the how the sex scenes were filmed. Yes. And everything like that. I don't feel like this is trying to... I feel like it's trying to make people uncomfortable and confront certain things, but in a way that's not super aggressive. And mm-hmm. I think that that's very arthouse.
2: I, I don't know if it would be considered parallel to arthouse, but I kind of view this more as, like, a cult classic. Hmm. And I don't know if you can be both mm. You probably can, but I would imagine most cult classics are probably more of an art house or maybe not
1: I mean, I like this movie more thinking of it as a cl- cult classic than I do thinking of it as an art house. yeah, like when I put it into the context of cult classic, I like it a lot more
0: i yeah, I didn't I, I don't mean art house to be disparaging, but I think you probably, no, no, nailed, no. yeah, I, you, you nailed it. I think you nailed at least part of it where this movie is to me, it was very challenging for a lot of reasons. One is uh, I mention this all the time and I'll continue to mention it every time we come across this. It's like a fucking bummer. <laughs> right. And I just like absorb that stuff. Right. So my heart breaks for a lot of these characters and when this movie is working for me, and I, I truly believe that there are some like outstanding performances delivered here, and when, when it's firing on all cylinders, it's, it's heartbreaking. It is, it is devastating to watch. And then for other long stretches of this film, I mostly felt bored and I could not find a way to get into it. I think this is a movie that probably rewards maybe a repeat viewing or two after you see everything come together. I couldn't, I, I, I couldn't say that. I only watched it once, and I, I, I honestly don't know if I would revisit it again. Um, I, I, like I said, I liked some of the performances and some of the dialogue when they slipped into Shakespeare. I'm like, what is going on here? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it just, it, it was like one moment. They're speaking normally, and now it's like, oh, this feels very different. And then they go right back to it. I'm like, okay, let me rewind that and try to (laughs) just make a little bit more sense of it. And I just found it a little bit difficult to, like, kind of, like, latch on to one single person. Uh, It was very difficult for me to relate. Uh, Not that I didn't have sympathy, but I was just like, man, this is just a life that I know nothing about. So I if it felt very difficult for me to put myself anywhere in that headspace. Um I enjoyed some of the themes, at least the ones that I understand I, I, I seem to understand from it. And we'll get into those and I hope, you know I I want to address those and I hope Whitney and Evan you'll keep me in line. I want to make sure that I'm addressing this stuff properly and with the uh the gravitas it kind of deserves. So mm-hmm. um Listening to the two of you talk about it makes me feel a little bit better. Uh, it feels like I'm kind of somewhere maybe a little bit lower than both of you on this movie. Not that I disliked it. I just mm-hmm. feel like, huh? A- a- at the <laughs> end of it. Like, I'm not really sure. It's it's like, it's a coming of age story. Am I right? Is that true? It, it is? Hopefully? Is that? Sure. Okay. Maybe in one respect, right? Mm, and yeah. yeah,
1: to some extent. I think it's more... I don't even have a good word for what it is. Mm, I think it's more slice of life than it is coming of age, because okay. I don't think that Keanu Reeves' character like learns a lesson, and I don't think that River Phoenix's character learns a lesson. I think they both got stuff out of it, but I don't think that anyone did come of age... Like, emotionally. I think that, like, we see, obviously, um, Keanu Reeves' character go through an arc, which we'll talk about, as far as just, like, what his character does and who his character is, but doesn't really learn anything and doesn't really get anything out of it. I think it's really just more a, here's a day in the life of these these people that you would never come across. <laughs>
0: that yeah I, i i i could buy that that sounds i was trying to put it into a box maybe to make it more relatable but maybe that maybe the whole point of it was that i shouldn't be able to maybe for me that that should be the whole point of it but
1: well and i think that's why i had the problems that i had with it or the problems what i had with it is that it was trying to make you sympathize but not understand and i think that you can't do that because if you don't understand you can't truly sympathize and it's empathy or it's it's sympathy is bad empathy is what he was going for like you can't empathize with people if you don't understand them you can sympathize for them but that's closer to pity and I think that he didn't walk that line correctly in filming this movie because I don't think he was trying to get people to understand I think he was just trying to show that they're real people with lives and they ended up in this place because of whatever but I also think that it looks down I don't think you can and I think Gus Van Sant is queer. I'm not sure about that. He's hmm. made a lot of queer movies or movies with homosexual undertones. Yeah. Um, so I assume that he is, but I don't actually know that for a fact. I just know that there's some stuff at drugstore cowboys. I know this. I know he does milk. Like there's a lot of things out there. But anyway, I think that this is looking down on homosexuality in a certain way. And it's definitely looking down on sex work in a way where like everyone in sex work is pitiable in a way that really chafes me. I do not like that at all. And instead of trying to be like, here's how you can understand these people and put yourself in their shoes, he's like, here's a life that you don't know anything about and I'm not going to put you in their shoes at all. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that, that is actually the line where the movie didn't work for me, is the line where you felt like you couldn't connect. Yeah. And I think, I think so, it's about different stuff, but you and I have the same problem.
0: Okay, all right.
1: I feel like he didn't do a good enough job of creating empathy, he just wanted to showcase hardships, but not have you understand the hardships.
0: Hmm. I feel better now, you having explained my own feelings to me because i couldn't <laughs> I couldn't get that shit out. You can we'll rewind the tape ten minutes and listen to me r- ramble about I'm not really sure what is happening. Oh, yeah, good, okay, <laughs> right, all right so. Technically, I agree with both of you. The vignettes that they did, there was some really masterful stuff here in terms of framing and composition. And obviously, we pointed out already the way that they filmed certain uh, sex scenes as almost like these, you know, almost like paintings. Renaissance paintings. Yeah. Yeah. Beautifully done. And I don't think I've seen anything like that since. So that's that's uh, that was really cool. I, I don't like this movie or hate it. I, it's just it's very mi- I'm very middling on this um, cuz I'm not sure how to feel. <laughs> like Whitney said, like Whitney said about my feelings. That's how I <laughs> <laughs> Do we have anything else that we wanted to talk about either, you know, at a high level about this? I I'm going to try to touch on as much as I can uh, along the way.
1: Yeah, no, I think I think let's dive into the plot.
0: Okay. Well, yeah. there's it's not plot yet. Well, it's America's favorite game.
1: That's right. It's
0: much more important.
1: (laughs) That's correct.
3: Pop quiz, asshole. There was a time when I had the need to learn from you. Oh, what the hell do you know? Lose! I don't
0: lose! I win! She's got a lot to learn about sportsmanship. Pop quiz, asshole, is our, our favorite game. The, the rules are very simple. I am going to be hosting this episode, so I will ask Whitney and Evan each three questions, and I have a bonus question here. Uh, points are awarded for said questions. If someone gets it wrong, the other person has a chance to steal. It's really that simple. I don't have the points in front of me, but Whitney is beating us both handily. So, oh, our <laughs> points combined our total Whitney. So yes, she's got 15, it's... I have nine, Evan has six. Okay, now yeah. I remember. Oh, Evan. Here we, go. <laughs> here we go, buddy. This is our chance. No, she's going to widen the gap. I know it. Who am I going to start with? It's my choice, right? We'll go, mm-hmm. with, uh, we'll go with Whitney first here then. Which one of the following was not in consideration for the title of this film? Chimes at Midnight, Blue funk minions of the moon that's hard I know uh... <laughs> if it makes it any uh, I, the next one for Evan will be difficult as well <laughs> super easy Thank it was
1: you. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna say the first one the chimes one that is correct you did it <laughs> oh no, my I-
0: they were actually going to call this movie Blue Funk. They were thinking yeah. about it. They were thinking yeah. about it.
1: Yeah, I get uh.
0: it. <laughs> well done. Holy mm-hmm. shit! All right, <laughs> coming out strong. I told you, if it's over, we don't, we just pack it up. I've already yeah, yeah. I've already addressed the laserdisc. Here we go. This we've is got, for you.
1: We've still got like fifty more movies to watch.
0: I know, but there's yep, plenty yep, of time very, to catch up. Very aware. <laughs> All right, here we go. Here we go. So, speaking of the title, the movie takes its name from the song Private Idaho, written by which of the following bands? The Talking Heads, the B 52s, or REM? Oh, solid. You, you, you put thought into that. I did, because. <laughs> can't make it easy. Um. B-52s, R.E.M., and... Talking Heads.
2: Talking Heads.
0: And you said it was based on this song? One of those bands wrote a song called Private Idaho, and that's where okay, the Okay, so they're not... Yeah. Okay.
2: Um, so, <laughs> B-52s strike me as the, like, outlier. Stop. I'm gonna go with
4: That is correct! Oh, my God! Yes!
0: Yes. We're doing it. <laughs> you guys are killing it. <laughs> These aren't hard enough. That's what I'm God damn it. All right, here we go. Whitney. Mhm. Gus, the director, originally offered the role of Bob Pigeon to this well-regarded character actor and Keanu co-star. Mm. Is it Fred Ward, John Hurt, or Dennis Hopper? Mhm.
1: I'm going to say John Hurt.
0: That is incorrect.
1: Okay.
0: Evan, would you like to steal? Yes. Can you please repeat it? Okay. Gus, the director, originally offered the role of Bob Pigeon to this well-regarded character actor and Keanu co-star. Is it Fred Ward, John Hurt, or Dennis Hopper?
2: Um... Uh... What was the first one?
0: Fred Ward. I'm going to say Fred Ward. That is also incorrect.
1: Yeah, no. If it, w- if it was not the one that I said, it was definitely Dennis, Dennis Hopper. Dennis Hopper!
0: It would have been another yeah. Hopper. Yeah. It would have got a triple, too easy. Triple Hopper. I know. That's why. Was...
1: Definitely not Fred Ward. I could not imagine Fred Ward in that role.
0: It was incredibly tough to find two other actors that he's co-starred alongside that would have mm-hmm. actually fit in that role. And those yeah. were the yeah, best two. <laughs> that would have been the right age, too. hmm Okay. This is, uh, who, who is up? Whitney, right? It's me. No, it's me. No, it's Evan. No. It's me, because I just Oh, that's right. Okay. Evan. Yes. I want to preface by saying that these are not, I'm not going to catch on a technicality. Okay. Here we go. All right. I'm ready. Which of the following phoenixes has Keanu not worked with? What? Rain, Summer, or Joaquin? Not worked with? It has not worked with. Uh, summer. That is correct, you did it! Okay, okay, <laughs> all, right. all right. Oh my God, Whew. I wasn't, yeah, If uh, uh, Joaquin Leaf, I wasn't gonna, that's what I meant, I was not gonna catch you on a technicality, yeah. but, uh, mm-hmm. but right. it didn't matter anyway, because that was the wrong answer, but still. Okay, good, 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 good. All right, this is uh, Whitney, here we mm-hmm. go. I apologize for this question. It was too funny not to put in here. Here we go. (laughs) This former Keanu co-star turned down the role of Mike because, and I quote, he wanted to go skiing. Was it Rob Lowe, Kevin Kline, or Kiefer Sutherland?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my.
0: (laughs) His literal... Reason was he wanted to go skiing and he deeply regrets it in retrospect. (laughs)
1: I don't know. That sounds like Rob Lowe to me.
0: Uh, All right. I just want
1: to. Oh, Kiefer Sutherland. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's hard. I'm going to go with Rob Lowe. I'm going to go with my gut. Yeah.
0: I'm sorry, that is incorrect. Okay. Ooh. Rob Lowe had a spine. He would have taken this role. Uh, I guess that means I'm up. It I'm is. I'm going to go with her other gut, which is keeper. That is correct. God yes. damn it. <laughs> I thought, I was like, if Whitney gets that, I, I was like, I mean, either of you, but that's, it was truly, truly an incredible quote. I highly recommend... I think it's part of the special features, if you get a chance, where Keeper's like, I, I don't know why I wanted to go skiing. Great. That's awesome. Okay. Evan, right? Am I correct? Yes. Okay. This is, this is not a... Um, this question has... If you get the first part of this question right, I have a bonus follow-up, okay? Mm. And then Whitney could steal. Maybe either one. So here you go. So Gus, the director, is a huge fan of this long-running, Matt Groening animated series, which features prominently in the film. What is it? Features prominently in the film? What was in the film? (laughs) Um,
4: shoot.
2: Animated series was in the film. Can't picture it at all.
0: Shit. (laughs) You are getting yelled at by the listeners right now. I know. And Whitney is, is suspiciously silent. I mean, she's excited. <laughs> You're probably muted, and she's just, like,
2: shouting in excitement.
0: It's, it's very possible. <laughs>
2: um, I, I, I'm not going to drag this out. I, nothing is coming to mind. Go ahead, Whitney. That
0: is incorrect, Evan. <laughs> Whitney. Would you like to give this one a shot?
1: It was The Simpsons.
0: Amazing! That is correct. Are you ready for your Uh, Are you ready for the follow up? Was
1: I believe it was a Treehouse of Terror. That was the follow up. You did
0: it. Oh my! That's your bonus point. I was going to ask. That's a the Halloween episode always has the same title, and it's just they just add Roman numerals. You did it. All right, Andrew, you just shouted so. Sorry, yeah, my, my family is, and my neighbors both do not. I shouted up at the ceiling too. That was not even into the mic. Sorry. All right, I have a. That's, <laughs> can't wait to that's funny to
1: that. that I I automatically just answered the follow up without even trying. I can
0: literally send you the PDF that I'm working off of that is not editable in any way. That's fine. All right, I have a bonus question. This is for either of you. The first one to answer gets two points. All right? Yes. Here it is. River Phoenix wrote and helped to direct what many people believe is the best scene in this film. What scene is it?
1: The campfire scene?
0: Nailed it. Done.
1: <laughs> Whitney widens the gap
0: like I said she would. <laughs> uh. That was, yeah. Apparently, he had, that was a much smaller scene with far less dialogue. It was just supposed to be like a... Little little interaction, and he stretched that out, and it, that was quite possibly my favorite scene of the film. Also,
1: it was my favorite scene, which is the only reason that I guessed it. Is <laughs> right. like that was my favorite part of the whole movie. So if there, if you because you added the clue of like popular favorite scene, yes. that was the only reason that I guessed that.
0: Okay, I'll I'll have to. I don't know how many points everybody got. I think Evan got two. Whitney got.
2: I think it was. I think it was closer to twelve.
0: <laughs> mm. Son of a bitch! Uh, you're you're out. You're not in charge of keeping track of your own points anymore. <laughs> Maybe I also trusted. have
1: narcolepsy because I certainly don't remember you answering twelve questions.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. It was like bonuses and stuff. Oh wow, yeah. that's wild. All right, okay. That was pop quiz. I enjoy that segment of the show. It's my favorite thing. One of my Me favorite too. things. It's America's favorite game as well. So, okay. <laughs> Are we ready to to do our deep dive here? Oh, yeah. Okay. We open on a shot of a dictionary, highlighting the word narcolepsy, and then Idaho. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. We get this really interesting monologue on the road, kind of all alone at the beginning, that sets the tone for what we are probably going to get for the rest of the film. He's talking about... It's really kind of cerebral. He's like, he describes the road as like an ugly face and that he's seen Mm -hmm. a thousand roads and all this kind of interesting. uh, At this point, I'm still like, wow, what's this? What, what What are we doing here? What's going on?
3: Always know where I am by the way the road looks. Look, I just know that I've been here before. I just know that I've been stuck here like this one fucking time before, you know that? Yeah. There's not another road anywhere that looks like this road. I mean exactly like this road. It's one kind of place, one of a kind. Like someone's face. Like a
1: fucked up face. Honestly, even more than the esoteric and weird dialogue that doesn't always track, this is the most Shakespearean thing out of anything he does is when characters narrate exposition in monologues to themselves. And it's not to the viewer. It's not breaking the fourth wall. It's them standing on the side of a road in the desert and like philosophizing why they're there. That's the kind of stuff that happens multiple times throughout this movie. That is very Shakespearean.
0: Yeah, and i i i like those, I like those moments because it's mostly Mike and that is River Phoenix's mm-hmm. character doing. Uh, a couple of people actually do it, but Mike does that. Bob
1: Pigeon has at least one.
0: Yeah, and his, of those scenes, yeah, his was very, very good too. His was, was great. Good. So, uh, from there, we have some short credits which were very colorful and uh, kind of weird. Uh, we transition right into a BJ. Uh, mm-hmm. Mike is on the receiving end of, of mm-hmm. that. Uh, so we find Felicio. out. Right. We find out pretty quickly that he is gay. Right. Or, well, it, it, there's an interesting dynamic at play in this film where, and I, I don't think it's, I don't, I don't want to jump ahead too much, but he is, he is a gay character. Right. And... Mm-hmm. Many of the other characters we encounter, Keanu included, are they're they're not. And correct me if I'm wrong. They don't strike me as 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 gay. It's more transactional for them. So they mm-hmm. just do whatever they are paid to do. Is is mm-hmm. that a fair assessment?
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, we
0: yep.
1: in very few scenes from now with the whole magazine cover thing.
0: Yes. Yeah. He
1: specifically says if you don't do it for money then you're a fairy.
0: Got okay. So he that's a different class. Yeah, okay. I all right. Got it.
1: If you do it for free, now you're gay.
0: Yeah, he says the wing you get the wings. Yeah. I yeah. okay. Good. All right. So uh after this scene, River Phoenix gets hired by an older man to clean his home. Mm-hmm. Uh and it seems like that's maybe partially, at least, like an ASMR thing for this guy. Like the sound mm-hmm. of scrubbing is really gets him going.
2: It was, it was
0: wild. Yeah, it's, it's super. Yeah, there's a lot of things that are right, just assaulting you right out of the gate. You're like, well, I don't understand what's just happening here. Uh, we learn just offhandedly that uh, he is the forty fourth Dutch boy man, person cleaning this guy's house. Then. He gets picked up by uh, a, an older, attractive, rich woman who takes him back home. We find out that she has two other male escorts there, one of which is... And they, Ke-
1: all, they all know each other. Yeah,
0: they're all in the same social circle. One of them is Keanu. And he says that she needs three men because it takes her a little bit longer to get warmed up. At at some point here, when these two are about to engage in, I don't know, foreplay, whatever. River Phoenix's character goes into a narcolep- narcoleptic uh, episode, I guess. Just passes. He kind mm-hmm. of seizes up and passes out. And mm-hmm. then he is uh, taken outside and left on the front lawn. And it's cool because they're in a very affluent neighborhood. So he shouldn't be, <laughs> you know, he, he should be yeah, fine. be okay. I actually had in my notes here, there's a really... I, I, I love this moment where he holds the conch shell to his ear. I just thought mm-hmm. that was like a... There are little moments like that where I'm like, that is his reaction, the way he's mm-hmm. interacting with the environment. It was brilliant. I just I was mm-hmm. like, wow, he gone too soon. Just, just a great talent he was. Mm-hmm. Around this point, we also get a, a monologue from Keanu, like we had talked about, where he, he talks a little bit about the backstory of his character. And we learn that he's he comes from wealth. Uh, I didn't I it wasn't clear to me what his father's position in the movie was until I saw the credits and we find out that he is the mayor or they works. say
1: that at one point in oh, the movie. OK,
0: I, I may have missed that. But yeah, he, uh, he, I think Bob
1: Pigeon says something about the mayor's son. Got right it. When they meet for the first time.
0: OK. Oh, yeah, definitely. All right. So there you go. So that's. Yeah. He, he comes from <laughs> a wealthy background, and he's kind of shunned all that, at least temporarily.
3: I grew up in a neighborhood like this. And my dad, you know, he has more fucking righteous gall than all the property and people he lords over. And those he also created, like me, his son. But I almost get sick thinking that I am a son to him. You know you have to be as good as him to keep up. You have to be able to lift as big a weight. You have to be able to throw that weight as far or make as much money or be as heartless. hold your ground. My dad doesn't know that I'm just a kid. He thinks I'm a threat.
0: So we are uh, at this point back in the city. And this was the adult book and movie store slash sex shop that Whitney had made reference to. We get this really, I I thought it was pretty well done, all things considered. It it looked like it was shot almost practically. There was, I don't know what the level of CG here was, but all the characters we interact with for the rest of the movie are kind of superimposed on these magazine covers and they're Mm -hmm. moving and talking. And I, I thought it was really well done. We learn a little bit about all of them. Mike, he wakes up in the suburbs and he makes his way back to the city. And we meet this character, Hans, who I I don't have I don't have a lot of words for this guy. He's kind of a strange cat. (laughs) Right. Yeah.
1: I mean, this is something the the way that River Phoenix felt and the way that you kind of felt witnessing it is a feeling very familiar to women. When. They don't necessarily do anything and they don't necessarily say anything, but immediately you're like, something's off. This guy's weird and I yeah. should be wary. And it happens to River Phoenix just like it happens to, to women all the time. And I'm sure it happens to more um, male sex workers frequently as well. But you just get that like back of the neck tingle, that spidey sense that says, this guy's a freak. Something's weird. I don't know if I'm in danger or not, but I think that I am.
0: Yeah, that was, he. It, he does offer him a ride back to town. Is that? Mm-hmm. Am, am I? I'm remembering that correctly. I think. And he's just yep. like, no, get out of <laughs> like, go away. Yeah, yeah. And I think they even have again some people in common in their lives, like maybe that woman that they were uh, whose house they were at. Yes. Yeah. Very weird, but that's a really great point that you put on it i think <laughs> not a world that i am familiar with but yeah, I, yeah. Could, I could certainly see that so we cut to a scene and we're in this diner and river phoenix confronts keanu about potentially selling his body while he was asleep and keanu denies this it's just like a weird accusation to make You at this point you're like, are these guys, Are they know each other? Are they friends? Are they not? It was unclear to me at this point what the nature of their actual relationship was. I think this was also the part where all of these people are sharing, like, these horror stories that they experience, like, mm-hmm. just, like, the worst possible outcome for selling your body. And usually it ended in, like, uh, rape or some sort of assault of some kind, and they just the delivery of it was very flat and almost like uh devil may care. And it was just, I was like, wow, this is again, another situation where I'm like, Hmm, I have no <laughs> point of reference for any of this.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I think that, that there's a couple of things here. First of all, I think that the, the asking Keanu how much money he's making off of him when he's asleep. thing. Yeah is to really show the vulnerability of this character, both in his line of work, but also in just who this character is. Like, it's already vulnerable to be living on the streets and to be turning tricks, Yeah, but it is much more vulnerable to not have control over yourself while you're doing it. And so I think that was just to highlight how vulnerable he was and how he didn't He was so detached from it because it was such a reality of life that he didn't even necessarily care that he was vulnerable and that he was potentially being assaulted while he was asleep because other people were selling him for money. I think what it was was to sort of cement the idea that Keanu Reeves did think of him as a friend to, to lay a foundation for all the stuff that happens earlier, because otherwise their, their like motorcycle trip that's coming up would seem really out of the blue if, it, if you didn't have any dialogue or anything that established Keanu Reeves cares about this guy. But also, I think, to establish that River Phoenix is definitely, like, that human driftwood thing that that one reviewer said yes. is very much about, like, he has had to become desensitized to everything, including whether or not people are having sex with him while he's in a narcoleptic episode, because he's in such a vulnerable world, but also a vulnerable person in addition to that. And I think it was kind of establishing that. And then the other thing is all of these people sort of nonchalantly talking about all of these, all of this trauma is, I think, one of the ways in which Gus Van Sant did not hit the mark in trying to expose you to other worlds and other people that you might not necessarily know without engendering empathy it is definitely a thing that a bunch of people who are sitting around passing the time in between like when it's time to go stand out on the street smoking cigarettes and drinking coffee in a diner yeah. would absolutely have these conversations and they also would be detached from them because every single person has had a, an experience like this um, and also it's something that you have to separate yourself from if you're going to keep doing it day in and day out as your job But I think that it doesn't help people who aren't familiar with that feel empathy for these people because they're so nonchalant about it and because they take it in stride and talk about it so casually. It doesn't help people who don't understand that lifestyle to understand what he's trying to get across here, like the fact that there's trauma and they're just people. And sometimes they didn't mean to get into turning tricks. They just ended up there because of drugs or because of circumstances or whatever. Um, but I think that it didn't, I think that it's true to life in some ways, but I don't think it paid off as far as I think it alienates people.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I I don't, I don't know if either of you have like, I have a couple people in my family, like in my life where I, I mean, I, I, I don't, I hesitate to, categorize them as like oversharers but you might just be having a conversation and then something would come up that's not necessarily along these lines but something that i would consider you know like a private thing and my only response really is like jesus i'm sorry you know like and that's kind of how i felt listening to all these stories of these people i'm like oh my god like i, I jesus i'm sorry that happened like i have no words of uh, to, to give i have nothing to give back to that um other than listen
1: yeah i think i mean I. it's definitely it's a bonding thing because i've had conversations like that with groups of women where everyone is talking about the sexual assault that they've experienced and every single woman in the group has experienced some kind of assault and and most for the most part that's kind of how the conversation goes down it is not necessarily like loaded with emotion or looking for feedback it's just hey we've all been there yeah and i think that that's like I said, I think it's true to life. I don't necessarily think it's helpful for the story or for engendering empathy instead of sympathy. Got it. I think it's much it's much more likely that you are feel pity for these people than that you put yourself in their shoes and empathize with them. And I think that that's the opposite <clears throat> of what he's trying to do.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Well said. Well said.
1: Like I said, I have a lot of thoughts and feelings about this movie.
0: <laughs> yeah. Please, yeah. Great. Continue. Yeah. Please continue to share as I, as I work my way through this as well. It's, we're, mm-hmm. we're doing this together, but you're truly leading this. Here we go. <laughs> so Bob, this man Bob arrives in town and everybody seems to know who this fella is. Bob Pigeon and they all kind of meet in this what is this like a a a condemned hotel or some sort of housing situation we don't know we don't i don't think it's ever made clear but they all convene in this building around bob and they begin to hatch a plan to rob some people in town to make some money
3: stealing is my vocation scott It's not a sin for a man to labor his vocation. Very early tomorrow morning, there's going to be a bunch of small-time rock and roll promoters coming back from their gig. And every night, they walk home with the loot. They stop by the Grotto Bar. It's about a half, no, it's about a mile down the road from here. Dude, we can't steal from them going into the bar, dude, we can get them coming out. See, Bob, dude? Not me. So long as I don't know these guys personally, it's OK. See? No.
4: They're from Beaverton, new
3: it's, to the business. See, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go along with this crackpot scheme, especially since Gary thought it up. Come you know? on, Fred Mike. There is a better way to make a buck. <laughs> Something to fall back on other than your ass. The,
0: the plan is to steal from another group of people. And then what Keanu and River Phoenix want to do is then double cross the group as a prank. We see this kind of unfold the the whole the whole plan was to embarrass this guy Bob who is kind of a yeah you know, not a liar but you know he's <laughs> tall tales is what we'll we'll call it here they knew that he was yeah. going to exaggerate a story that was way more far fetched <laughs> than like what <laughs> actually happened it's at this point we actually on the way to seeing this happen we actually get Keanu and River on a motorcycle together and I think maybe Evan was this the the thing you were reading about, where this was the first time this was the movie where Keanu learned to love motorcycles because this was really that yeah he
2: <clears throat> this was a this is a norton uh, motorcycle these that, that he's riding um and it's still in his collection um, beautiful kind of cafe racer style motorcycle um, and it, yeah, this is definitely what turned him on to motorcycles in general
0: so this uh this whole robbery goes exactly as both River Phoenix and Keanu planned they they rob this group of people who are carrying a really large amount of money in like some kind of case uh, and then Keanu and River then rob the people that they went there with and then we hear this story and it's just like they predicted Bob weaves this incredible tale. There's fifty. There's like 15 guys. Every time he says how many people there were, the number continues to escalate. I, th- I thought that was pretty funny. It was pretty delightful.
3: Where's the money, Bob? Where is it? Taken from us by 20 or 30 folks. 30? Struggling with a dozen of them. <laughs> I think my arm's broken from the fight. Certainly a toe. Most definitely a rib. <laughs> Let me tell you about it. Tell us about it, please. We four set upon a dozen of them. Sixteen at least, digger,
1: my boy. Yeah, and got their money. And then as we were splitting it, sixteen others set upon us.
3: Thank God you had not murdered some of them. <laughs> murdered? Well, they are past praying for. I have peppered two of them. Two punks in leather jackets. <laughs> what? I tell you, son, these four came in close. You said there were two now. Four. I said there were four, Scott. Four. These four came from the front, kicking at me, pulling their knives, and I whipped out the blade and took all seven as a target, like this. Seven. Just a second ago, there were four in leather. No, Bob, my friend, there was four of them, and they all had leather on. Seven by my count.
0: What's What's going on now is the mayor, who is Keanu's father, is is trying to find him, is trying to track him down because. Apparently, he hasn't seen him in months, I believe, maybe years. And uh, so the place where everyone is staying is raided by the police. And uh, they just basically send a message that he's being looked for. Uh, At this point, we get a uh, smash cut to Idaho. And we're back on the same road that we saw in the beginning of the film where River delivered that monologue. And at this point, they, they have pulled off to the side of the road And this is that fireplace scene that we talked about or around the campfire, where they're having a heart-to-heart, and we find out that, you know, they begin discussing their friendship and their family lives, and it becomes very clear that River Phoenix wants to be more than friends with with Keanu's character, Uh, to which Keanu's character responds that he believes two men can't love each other, and he only has sex with other men for money. That's like his hard, fast line right there.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: So River Phoenix actually professes his love. He he, he literally says that he loves him. And mm-hmm. he doesn't need to be paid for that. Like the, what he is feeling is not, you know, it is not based on money or anything else. Like it's genuine love. Uh, and at, th- at that point, that's kind of how the scene, it, it fizzles out there. They both go to sleep. Um, that was like a very touching, heartbreaking moment. Did either of you have anything you wanted to add there? I I, I thought that was incredibly well done.
1: I also thought it was incredibly well done because it's definitely something, again, as... First of all, I think that from a male perspective, some of those deep conversations with friends that all of a sudden society tells you are bordering on something else is like a whole experience. But also I think the experience from someone who has been Attracted to or in love with people of the same sex and they don't reciprocate in the same way, but they genuinely care about you and they can't feel the same way about you, but they, you know, genuinely do care and want to make sure that you know that that sort of like embrace at the end when he's like, come here and go to sleep and whatever. Mm-hmm is very much true to life and is very heartbreaking. But the fact that they both are just like, we're going to keep going on about our lives the same way. Our relationship is the same as before. This doesn't have to change or alter anything. Yeah. Is I think very, very touching. It really was moving to me the way that he expressed it, the way that Keanu took it, the way that like it was not resolved, but also sort of resolved for them. I, all of that was very, um, it was a good emotional payoff. I liked it a lot.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. At this point, we arrive at Mike's house. Mike is River Phoenix's character, and that's we find out that's a trailer. And everyone's sitting down to eat through the conversation with, and this this is his dad. Is is that Richard was his dad played by James Russo? Was that his actual father? I'm assuming it was. Or, it was his
1: st- his brother and his father.
0: Got okay. So we find out through like conversation that gets really heated that his mom was institutionalized at some point. What we take away from this is that uh, Mike, River Phoenix, wants to go find her. And he goes to this address where she was last working, which was uh, this uh, kind of kind of upscale, kind of ritzy hotel, I would say. And he's told at the front desk that she quit and moved to Italy. And at this point we encounter this very bizarre individual, Hans, again. And at this he gives the boys his room number, and some hijinks ensue, and he regales them with his days of performing on stage. There's a really um interesting kind of musical number that happens here.
1: Very twid peaksy. That's yeah, when I yeah. wrote down when this musical number was happening, and now I felt like it's a little bit surreal, surreal, and a little bit absurd throughout this entire yeah. thing. Bob Pigeon is definitely a very surreal character, but like at this point when he's doing the dance number, I was like, "This could not be more David Lynch if it tried," <laughs> um, <laughs> and that's when I thought it. So that's, uh, yeah, that's when I wrote that down in my notes. It's a very, very weird scene.
0: <laughs> right. It's something. It's it it almost like a like quite a few David Lynch things. It it explaining it doesn't quite do it justice. It's really something you have no, to No, you, you can see. only
1: see it to understand. <laughs> yep.
0: It's a whole thing. So, following this after this kind of performance, we get these uh as we had mentioned earlier, these vignettes of uh sex between the three of them, Hans Kianu and River. I thought again, these were just like that was a moment where I'm like, wow, look at this. And that's kind of showing off.
1: Very weird, very interesting, very artistic. Like I was, at first I was like, what is this? And I was kind of turned off, but then they were so well, like they were so artfully planned and framed and whatever that by the end I was into it um, because they did look like Renaissance paintings or something like that. They were very, very beautifully choreographed. But it's a bunch yeah. of video stills. It's video. Yeah. It's live video. But everyone in it is frozen. And so nothing moves. It could very easily be a still. But you see people breathing or their lips moving or their arm shaking or something like that as they're doing it in all of these different positions. And everyone's nude. And it's very clearly sex. But it's um, a very artistic rendering of all of the sex acts that happened.
0: It's worth checking out to see how how this was pulled off and I believe this is the first of two of these types of sequences they they do in the movie, but yes very very yeah. expertly done and it was it was interesting
2: that the opening quote unquote sex scene, the one in the beginning didn't really follow these rules that it, it did have motion, you know like yeah the, it, i just I, I don't know why if that was on purpose that they differentiated these to be still. Suggest something else, but um.
1: Well, so the the first scene with the blowjob to me, when he has a narcoleptic narcoleptic episode, is when they do that sort of like sixteen millimeter home video sort of effect to the film and the flashbacks yeah. and the interspersed with like nature footage and beautiful like landscape scenes and that shed falling onto the road and that yeah. kind of stuff. Those always happen when he's having, like, a narcoleptic episode. And so I think what they were trying to say with that first blowjob was that he was having a narcoleptic episode while that was happening. Like, while the Mm. blowjob was happening. And that's why it looked different than the actual sex scenes. Because it's the same kind of thing that happens in later narcoleptic episodes.
0: Right, 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 right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. After all this, it turns out that they sell Hans... This motorcycle that that Evan mentioned, which was stolen, and then they use that money to buy tickets to go to Rome to find Mike's mom. So that's pretty pretty clever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> they arrive and they it's very much on location, like they are there, which is really really cool. That the you know that it was not on a soundstage or anything. You're like, oh, this is it. Right. They're great. Yeah. It's great. Uh, they go to the address that was given to them. And uh, they find that she, she's no longer there either. She had, she was there once, but then she went back to America. And we meet this girl, Mm Carmela, who Mike's mom, she taught English to this girl. uh, And then we find out the home in question that they're at belongs to her uncle. So at this point, Uh, Keanu and, uh, this character Carmela have a fling that really kind of turns into this budding romance. And it seems like at this point, Keanu will be staying in Italy with this girl until further notice. He gives River, uh, his share of the money that they got from selling this stolen bike. And then the two of them, Keanu and Carmela get in a cab and they are gone (laughs) to, We don't know where
1: this whole part of the movie was the most heartbreaking part. Like there's a lot of stuff that that is very hard and you hear about a lot of people's trauma and you see a lot of rough stuff. But this was by far the most emotionally devastating part of the movie for me because because of that whole campfire scene and how well it was executed. But every person has been in that place where you love someone and they know it and you know it but it's not happening for whatever reason. And then you watch them actively fall in love with somebody yeah. and like, he can't go anywhere or do anything about it. He can't get away. Cause he's just trying to find his mom and he's stuck in wherever in Italy. And it's, it's just like, I was so in his place in those scenes and, and how he was feeling. And part of this is he's a very good actor, but also part of yep. this was just every single person, regardless of their life circumstances has been in this place where someone that you have feelings for is developing feelings for somebody else and it's just crushing. And this whole sequence was so well executed with like him hearing their sex noises, but also them like at dinner and, and how they're flirting while she's teaching him Italian and the whole thing. And he has to just sit there for all of it and experience the person that he loves. And really the only person that he trusts, like his, this whole movie is about him trying to reconnect with something that he can't disassociate from yeah, his mom and and that sort of like emotion and connection. And we don't even know if any of his memories of his mom, because she's, all, she's holding him as he is now, and we know she hasn't been around for a long time. So maybe none of his memories of his mom are even real. And he's just trying to find that real thing to connect to. And the one real thing he does have is Keanu is a friend who he's in love with, and he's actively losing that as we're watching. Oh, it was brutal.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I I remember starting to think and try to like come up with a way for it to end up well. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And the whole time, the whole time you're sitting there and you're just trying to come up with another Avenue where it's like, Oh no, 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 no. You you know, this is going to change and they're going to come back together and they're going to find her and all that. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) Always the optimist. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I uh, just to, reinforce what Whitney said. For me, the things that... Those those little moments, like what you had mentioned specifically during dinner, and the looks that were exchanged, or not even exchanged... Like, at this point, uh, Keanu's character and Carmella are almost entirely oblivious that Mike is even in the even room. Even in the room, yeah. And you could just... He is just devastated by that. So it was... And it's not like any words are exchanged either. This is all on his face, and it is really, really well done. So uh, we see them leave, and then uh Mike River Phoenix' character, uh, returns to Portland, and he kind of falls back into the same routine
1: same friends, same diner, same sleeping place.
0: yeah, and it, it, at this point he's you know he's coming undone a little bit, like losing his mm-hmm. mind a little bit over what is no doubt just like a very you know. What we saw transpired—it's like a very devastating experience. He lost the love of his life, right?
1: In addition to the trail for his mom going cold,
0: right? At that point, there was nothing. There was she went back to America, (laughs) which is massive. (laughs) No Mm -hmm. actual direction given at that point. We learned that at some point, um, Keanu's character and Carmela have both actually returned to Port uh, Portland, where they are currently. And uh, Keanu has seriously cleaned up his act. He is, he's dressed to the nines. Um, you know, looks like he's got his hair uh, slicked back, real, looking real good, looking real good. This uh, does not go unnoticed by uh, the group. Apparently they kind of hang out near this, uh, like a fancy restaurant or whatever. They see him going into this restaurant with Carmela, Bob Pigeon. I believe Mike is there and a couple of the other people we've seen walk in and like, oh, he's returned. Finally, he's come to claim his throne and he's going to bring us all with him. Right. They thought that the story was when Keanu gets this inheritance that he believes he is due, he'll use that money to bring all of his friends up from the streets and uh, I guess make them rich. That's kind of what I, well, he, it's kinda he what had, I... like. He had kind of hinted
2: at that earlier, right? Like it wasn't, it wasn't explicit, but he kind of at least gestured to the idea that he might.
0: Right. Yeah. This is a thing that's because he came from money. It, it, yeah. There was a rebellious streak that he had, but he was always in it for this payday, apparently.
1: Yeah. No, there was a whole part of the monologue early on about how he was going to, he, he just needed to like get the money and have the chance for a turnaround and then he would turn it around. Um, that was like a conversation with himself very early on that he was just waiting for the moment where he could, where he would want to change who he was for the better so that he was a person that his father admired or whatever.
0: Bob, uh, pigeon, uh, approaches, uh, Keanu and he is in, you know, just basically told to, to fuck off. Like, I don't even think in this scene Keanu turn? Does he even turn around to acknowledge him? I'm trying to, I'm trying no. to think, but he just tells him, "I don't know you." <laughs> Go yeah. away. Uh, and and once again, we see uh, this pattern <laughs> of like heartbreak here. Bob Pigeon is deeply affected by this. He he thinks of him almost as like a son, and to have those words spoken is uh, is nothing short of just um, devastating to him. In the next scene, he actually uh, dies of what I believe is an overdose, and everyone there chalks it up to Keanu breaking his heart, right? Mm -hmm. So this is very sad for this group of people who he was kind of a figurehead for. Simultaneously, and this was the impetus for Keanu returning, is his father- his real life father actually died. Uh, So he had returned for this funeral and it turns out weirdly that uh, Bob Pigeon's funeral is happening in the same (laughs) cemetery. Uh, About a hundred yards (laughs) away. Right. Just, you know, totally just turn your head to the right and there they are. Yeah. And uh, that group of, of Bob Pigeon's followers acting rowdy, clearly trying to work up, uh, Keanu Reeves get him to, you know, perhaps inside a confrontation that never actually happens. But uh, that's just how they're kind of expressing themselves. I didn't take it necessarily as like a the way that I thought about it is like, that's just how they wanted to, to celebrate this guy.
1: So I, I have uh, this was the next most emotional scene for me in a couple of ways. One, because it's clearly a scene of Keanu Reeves Turning his back on everything he valued in his youth, as yeah. far as like expression mm-hmm. and doing what you wanted to do and that freedom. Um, but also, I, it made me really think about everyone at that funeral for Bob Pigeon was so free and they were singing poorly along with the accordion. And then that turned into fighting. Yeah. And then that turned into them, like, yelling and dancing around. And then that turned into them, like, having sex on his grave. And it was very, very moving to me because I started thinking about, like, I know how I will affect people on my death. And I know a lot of, I I know that I will have touched more people than I think. And I also know that people will be very sad. But it will be so much more of a mellow reaction. It will be, you know, quiet and sad rather than people, like, just, feeling such intense emotions and just like living their lives because they're still alive kind of a thing yeah it was very very emotionally for me and i i don't expect that to be the same for everybody i don't expect everyone to be as affected as i was but i know that i will never be the kind of person where people are like i just need to let all of this out and like scream and yell and fight and fuck on someone's grave because i'm so like as a celebration of life but also as so many feelings for who this person was and it was it was very very interesting to me
0: yeah absolutely i definitely i definitely there was there was a interesting duality there you're cutting back and forth between uh that group and then back to Keanu's his character his family and everybody he's with who I don't think there was like it didn't seem like there was like a tear shed. Everybody's very no, there was very little
1: emotion, right?
0: And all dressed in black on that side, and then clearly just dressed in whatever they could find over here. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was very uh, very cool juxtaposition there. We cut back to this shot of of River Phoenix's character Mike on the road. It's like a reflection of the beginning of the movie. Uh, His narcolepsy kicks in. And he passes out basically right in the middle of the road. Uh, A car pulls up and two people get out and they rob him. They take his uh, bag and his shoes. And then another car pulls up and he is put into this car. And then that car drives off into the distance. And that is the movie. (laughs) He is... We don't know where he ends up. It is not a happy ending or a sad ending. It is a very, it is completely up in the air. Mm-hmm. What did we think of that ending? I, I, I'm still I, just even still talking through it. I'm like, I don't know. I, I don't feel strongly one way or the other about it. It's like, this is just life for this guy. That could happen to him forever. And it's yeah. crazy to think about.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the whole sort of thesis of the movie was about him being vulnerable and not being able to do anything about it. So it was a very fitting ending. Yeah. Um, the fact that he, for a while, had someone to maybe look out for his best interests, but now that's gone, but his life hasn't changed at all. He's always going to be vulnerable as long as he's alive. Yeah. Um, it's very much so a, a thing that I think was fitting, and I liked it. Um, I, it definitely did not give resolution. So if you're the kind of person who needs resolution in a film, don't watch this because there is none yeah. at all. all right. Nothing resolves.
2: That's, that's a good morning.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, it, uh, but chances are, if they're listening to us, they've already, and they're like, what the, hopefully these people can make sense of what happened. And I, I have no answers for you. So, uh, Ev, did you have anything? Th- did that ending strike you one way or the other? I- I- I'm just like, I-, I need more. I need more opinions to be able to process it. That that helps me. So please. Strangely for me, it was,
2: um, I don't know. It, it was, I kind of got this vibe that he had in one way kind of like arrived at peace or had like found a clean slate hmm uh, uh he was just kind of back to nothing, back to square one. And it, i guess it all kind of depends on how he wakes up and, and what's next for him, but for me it was it was almost like a close to all of the bad that had happened to him. And now he wakes up he has a got fresh start.
4: Hmm.
2: And um not necessarily positive. Obviously, it's not positive, but it's just kind of this is where you are. This is your situation, and um, you know, you have nothing, and you you gotta you gotta start over.
1: I find it very charming that that's what you took away from it. <laughs> he
0: has. He doesn't even have shoes. You know, that's he has the right. clothes on his back, and that is what he has. And then whatever this stranger has in store for him, that just whatever kind of a person stops in the middle of the road and picks up a passed out stranger and puts them in her car that is his future <laughs> perhaps forever do we have any other thoughts about this movie before we uh, jump into the the next uh portion here
1: no i think i was able to let out all i had repressed while watching the movie so far i think i was able to get out all my thoughts and feelings so I
0: think you gave me a better appreciation for it honestly I I was I'm oh, that's good. I'm happy that you and Ev are, are here for me uh because sometimes when I have a movie like this like this is certainly not a movie that I would seek out and honestly if we weren't talking about it like I might not have even watched it all the way through I'm at a point now where like if I'm not into a movie like 10, 15 minutes in, I just shut that mm-hmm. shit down and I just move yeah. on to the next thing. I'm like, time is our most valuable resource, said the person who's getting older. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs>
1: I I do think that while a lot of it was sensationalized for shock value in a way that does that actually respect queer people or sex workers, yeah. I also think a lot of it is very relevant and salient still to... People who are marginalized in one way or another. And I think that how vulnerable people are to, like, straight or cis men is very much, like, still a relevant, relevant thing. Like I said, like, that conversation in the diner, I've been in those conversations before where everyone's talking about their trauma and their assault. Um, I think that the way that he is so vulnerable very accurately represents how a lot of marginalized people feel moving through the world of not necessarily always having control over all of your circumstances and um even when you do have control you don't fully have control. Um I think that having to figure out how to get by in a world that doesn't really want you to survive with people preying on you. I think it's it's a good movie for helping people see that part of the world who are not women or who are not sex workers or who are not you know, people of color or who are not trans or whatever. I think it, it does a good job of showing you what that feeling is like. I just think that it fell down in the empathy area. I think it's all sympathy and pity and not empathy, not putting yourself in other people's shoes, which is what's actually going to really open up your eyes to those sorts of situations and make people want to do something about it or treat people nicer mm-hmm. or, you know, be less judgmental in the future. I don't think that this movie accomplished any of those things. And that's where it didn't pay off for me. But everything else I liked quite a bit about it.
0: Nice, nice. To keep, uh, and not to put you on the spot, can you think of a movie, and it doesn't obviously have to be a Keanu Reeves movie, I don't know if there is one that exists like this, that nails that empathy part better?
1: That's a good question. Um, Empathy in
0: general, or within a certain subject. Kind of, kind of keeping in this in this realm that we're in here about the marginalized. I can I can say like to give you time to think. Like there are certainly a couple parallels here. I felt equally uneasy when I watched the movie. I, I'm th- I can't remember if it was last year or the year before, but Blind Spotting. That movie. I did not see that. I def- I highly recommend it. But the, it, it follows this this character, African American character, and he was um he was in Hamilton. Uh, I never saw it, but that's his. You know, y- you would know him if you knew knew that musical. And he is is playing. He's like an ex convict who's very. He's about to get off parole. And it's his last couple days trying to avoid, like, getting into situations. And I felt tense and nervous the whole time. and and that is what the movie wanted. I was literally in his shoes the whole time. I was like, that was amazing. Like, it was mm-hmm. one of the best films. I, I I can't believe it didn't even get nominated for any awards. But it was one of the mm-hmm. best films I saw that year.
1: I definitely should watch that because that sounds like something that I would be very into. I think that there's, like, people who have committed crimes for one reason or another are some of the most, I don't know, they're right up there with trans people of color as far as people who can't, the rest of society will not let them just be. Yes, you know what I mean? Like people who have been convicted of something, people who have gone to jail for something. Um, I've had companies that I've worked for that were corporate that would not let me hire people who had had certain X, Y, Z as far as criminal whatever. And I have no problem hiring those people because I think everyone deserves a chance to live their normal lives and, and make money and do whatever. And I think prisoners are parolees. People just in general, that it's so hard to move past that and ever live a normal life. Yeah. Even if you want to just live a normal life, that I think I would really like that movie quite a bit. Yeah. Um, I did think of one while you were talking, and that's Boys Don't Cry with Hilary Swank. Oh, yes. Okay.
0: All right. I've seen that. Yeah, I think
1: I think that one does a very good job of something like gender nonconforming and trans people are something that's very, very hard for people who don't have any of those feelings at all to associate with or empathize with. And I think that they did a very good job in Boys Don't Cry of you empathizing with Hillary Swank's character quite a bit. I can't think of anything else off the top of my head, but I know there's more like
0: that out there. Interesting. I would have to revisit that. I mean, I saw that movie probably the year of or the year after it came out. I'm sure it would have a different effect on me revisiting it now after having some life behind me. (laughs) So yeah. yeah. Oh man. Okay. That's what a discussion. Oh my gosh. Yeah. All right. I'm happy that the two of you are here with me. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. I think that we three are a very good mix. <laughs> right. Viewpoints
1: and insight and...
0: I'm always trying to learn. And that's... Mm-hmm. I, I, I think from the two of you, I get uh, quite a bit. So y- thank you. Mm. Uh, you're, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Evan, thank you. Whitney, <laughs> thank you. Um... <laughs> Do you ultimately recommend this film? Yes. Yes. I'm going to go ahead and say yes as well, even though I am still, I should revisit. I I have to watch this movie again, but not like, I got to give it a little bit of time. But I think, I think I would like it after a repeat viewing. Not that I dislike it. You understand. (laughs) (laughs) I've made it very clear.
1: All right. I think we've all been in that position up until this point where like you went in feeling a certain way. And then when you hear it from other people's viewpoints and you understand it more complexly, you are more forgiving of certain things and appreciate certain things more. I think there's been movies that I came in not liking that after hearing the two of you talk, I was like, OK, yeah, I can understand this a little bit more. I know that's happened to Evan. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think it's interesting. And that's part of the reason why it's fun to have multiple people on it. And talking about their different viewpoints is it helps you would appreciate things you didn't necessarily pick up before.
0: Yeah. So given that, uh, where does this fit into your personal Keanu ranking? I'm super curious. Super curious.
1: Uh yeah, I was trying to figure that out. Uh, I'm,
0: th- I'm I'm third. Whoa! Way up there.
1: Yeah, I yeah. think it goes Bill and Ted, Parenthood, and then Private Idaho. I, I like it more than point break.
0: Uh oh boy, oh boy oh boy oh boy. <laughs> I'm going to regret this, I think. Ah, pro- uh, no, I, I I just got you got to just go ahead and do it. I'm going to put this like my list is all f- jacked up. God damn it. Uh...
1: I think that we need to have an episode at the end. A or the end Where we look at everything in retrospect, because right now we're as we're seeing a movie right after we're seeing it right after we're talking about it. We're looking at the other movies and saying, like, would I rather watch Permanent Record again or would I rather watch Point Break again? Yeah. And like, then you have to put that in there in that. But I think that I was looking at mine, too, and I still stand by mine so far. But I do think that there will we'll need to have an episode where we just have like a (laughs) reckoning and we talk about overall if Parenthood should still be my number two. Yeah, because Parenthood was okay, but I've seen a dozen movies like it. Should it really still be at my number two? I'm okay with that so far, but I know we're going to hit a point where it's going to, things are going to be out of whack and I'm going to want to like re reorganize. Yeah,
0: it's already happened for me. I'm going to put this at like number, mm, oh my God. How did I put Brotherhood of Justice above River's Edge? What an asshole. Um, (laughs) I'm going to put this in like-
1: River's Edge was only okay.
0: I know. Why did I put it so high? Oh my God. (laughs) Um, Shit. All right, this is going to be my number five, I think. I kind of, I think it feels good for me, putting it there. Okay. Uh, uh, You know, it's not, uh, it'll change in the reckoning, hopefully. I don't know Mm -hmm. what I did here. I ruined my Google Doc. Okay, you both enjoyed it quite a bit more than me, but I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt. Revisit it, and we'll have that reckoning. That sounds like a fun episode. Yeah. So let's talk about next week. It shall be quite a change of pace.
1: Oh, lordy.
0: <laughs> oh, man. I've been
1: looking forward to this one since before we started recording.
0: Uh, Evan will be leading us in the discussion of uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula.
1: I am also very excited that Evan is going to be the one doing the main discussion. <laughs> Why? Why oh, is that? Goodness. Because it would be a very different episode if I were talking about okay. it than if Evan's talking okay. about it. And I don't. I don't even know. Like, I don't know well enough to predict what it's going to be like, but I know it's going to be very different than the Whitney's version of Bram Stoker's Dracula conversation that would happen. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see how it goes. Fun. I think it's going to be all fun. Right. I
2: have, I have the fear.
0: <laughs> so have, <laughs> don't be afraid. Have we all, it's be... we've all seen this, right? It's, it's yes. Okay, Ev, you've seen it, right? Ah, uh, yes. Uh, I can't remember the last time I saw this. Maybe it's been a few years. It, it it's more recent than some Keanu movies for me. Uh, but it's like a Halloween. Like if it's on, <laughs> I'll be like, oh yeah, Dracula, cool. Let's let's watch. Um, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to just sit down in a non holiday season <laughs> and just watch mm-hmm. this movie.
1: Mm-hmm. Especially with an eye to Keanu and his performance, which is pretty empirically. The worst part of this movie.
0: (laughs) I remember. Oh, some. I'm getting like flashbacks of scenes now, and it's. Yep. Um, I'm I'm actually looking forward to it. I think overall, I am too. It was a fun movie. I, I, Gary Oldman. Oh my god. It
1: had a very distinctive style that I can appreciate, even if I don't necessarily love it. It it did a bunch of stuff that I. In like a very music video-y, video-y way. I remember after seeing it for the first time, I was like, that could have just been a Nine Inch Nails music video.
0: <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that because I was, I, I remember this st- and I was like, who directed that? And I was like, holy shit, it's Francis Ford Coppola. What? Yep. Yeah. Yep.
1: Oh, Um, and so there's a lot of things that I think are I'm excited to revisit it because I haven't seen it in years and years. I'm excited to see it from a technical standpoint, because I remember that the costumes were out of control in a good way, that there was a bunch of production design stuff that was incredible. But I also remember that Keanu Reeves was (laughs) awful in it. So I'm excited to look at it from a Keanu Reeves perspective, which, by the way, we didn't really talk about him in my own private Idaho But I think that he did an excellent job in it. We didn't specifically call him out or his performance, but I do want to say that I think that it does not necessarily show the depth, the internal depth of some of his previous characters. But I think the, the mixture of sort of detached and callous and having money and none of this being real for him in the way that it was for other people with how much he genuinely was caring in the only way that he could be for the people around him, for Bob, for Mike, like the way that he could never really fully be invested, but he was as invested as he could be and, and was sort of gentle with all of these people, but still was detached because all of this was sort of playtime for him in a way. I think it was very, very, um, very well, like he hit the mark perfectly. I don't think it's his best acting performance that we've seen so far, and I definitely know it's not the best performance overall. Right. But I do think that he he walked a very fine line very well in this in the his performance here. He did not do as good a job as um River Phoenix by a long shot,
0: but Yeah. I I I agree with what you said and if nothing else it shows like another kind of character that he can play, right? Where mm-hmm. he is not he's not been particularly easy to nail down so far. Like some of the characters have Similarities, uh, but mm-hmm. none of th- they all seem s- quite distinct, at least in my eyes. So yeah, it was mm-hmm. good. It was different for him. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think we can bring this thing in for a landing, as I am wont to say. So you can find our website at CoolBreezePod.com and access all of our episodes, the list of films we'll be reviewing, and much more. You can also reach out to us by emailing coolbreezepod at gmail.com or hitting us up on Twitter at coolbreezepod. If you think this is a podcast you can get behind, please give us a subscription on your preferred platform and a review would be awesome. Whitney, where can we keep up with you on the internet?
1: I am uh, at Whitney underscore Nelson, N E L S E N, on Twitter. And through there, you can find all of my other podcasts. Um, you can find Historical Hotties, which is my baby. Um, We just recently, our most recent episode was about folk heroes and people who are real people who have transcended sort of into folk hero status. Um, That was a super interesting episode. And we just talk about why they're hot and who's the hottest. Um, You can find that. I have a video games podcast. I have a fast and furious podcast that hopefully is coming out soon. If Eric uh, will edit it, (laughs) Um, I'm not going to lie. It took me like five weeks to get him the audio files to edit. So I can't be on him for taking like five weeks to edit them. Sure. But that'll release sooner rather than later. And you can find all the links to everything, the real play podcast that I'm on, where I have a, a RPG character named Annabelle, all of that you can find on my Twitter.
0: Perfect. Sounds great. Eric, I know, is a listener of this podcast. So, Eric, come on, man. I know it took Whitney five weeks, but come on. It should be done. <laughs> Evan. Yeah. Where are you on the Internet, buddy? Tell us all of it. Uh, Spill. Yeah. Spill the tea. Uh, uh, at Evan Acery, Uh, In like most places. What are the best? Most, what are the best places, m- though, of those places? On the Instajam and on the Tweetverse.
2: <laughs> um, but the the second one is is just a you know hot trash. So don't don't go follow me there. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, that's pretty
0: much the the goodies. <laughs>
4: okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my god. We took some time off. I miss this. It's fun. All right. <laughs> uh, you can find me at most places on the internet at dark driving. Um... Yeah. Follow me on Twitter, on Instagram would be good. I have rebooted a newsletter that I've begun sending out where I highlight, uh, it's called Coffee and Cameras. I highlight a cool video project that I've worked on recently. And then I talk about a a varietal of coffee that I really enjoy drinking. Those are really the two biggest things that I enjoy. So that's uh, that's pretty cool. You can go to coffeeandcameras.com or go to andrewgormla.com. You'll get there either way. It's a pretty good time if you like coffee or cameras. It's a great time or both. I'm very I like those. I enjoy those. Do that. So, with that, thank you all for joining us. And in the words of Bill S. Preston and Ted Theodore Logan, be excellent to each other. Party on, dudes.
1: rye into my dr pepper so i'm good to go yeah
0: amazing what
1: rye whiskey into my dr pepper
0: rye whiskey (laughs) rye Mm -hmm. whiskey
2: realized it meant rye whiskey
1: what did you think i meant bread
0: bread. (laughs) yeah i mean i don't know i don't know rye bread in the old dp Uh, That sounded way worse (laughs) when I said it that way. (laughs) Well, yeah. Fuck. Um, All right. Ooh, the (laughs) roadie. All
4: right.